Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show I do where I talk about the stuff I've seen since the last time I did one of these. I am David. Uh, Tyler is, of course, still not here. Um, he's he's uh, making slight progress. You can find out about that slight progress, and you can also hopefully find a link somewhere to the GoFundMe uh, at caringbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. I'll say it again. It's caringbridge.org slash visit slash tyler and jennifer smith uh go check that out if you want to know what's going on with tyler and how you can help um all right it's been a while since i did one of these um and though i have seen a ton of movies they're not all movies i'm going to talk about on here uh because a lot of them are sundance movies and um you'll have a sundance uh episode coming in a few days and then also uh preparations for our next profile so luckily Despite the long break, this can still be kind of a brief episode. Uh, let's start with a documentary directed by Shanak Sen, and it's called All That Breathes. Actually, as of this recording, it was just recently nominated for an Oscar for Best uh, Documentary. And uh, I loved it. It's 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 gorgeous. Um, it, it's uh, exactly maybe not exactly but it's it's more along the lines of the kind of documentary that i like yes it's about some something it is a profile of uh two brothers in india who run a um out of their garage on the roof of their uh home a uh a sort of sanctuary hospital rehab facility for uh uh kites the birds not kites the uh plaything that the birds that are called kites um and uh so there's definitely that human interest element but it doesn't come across as that kind of isn't this cute type of documentary it's a portrait of passion and obsession and family but it's also a portrait of new delhi um and uh it there's so much naturalism to it and it doesn't feel like sean xn laid this all out beforehand which is the kind of documentary that often kind of gets on my nerves it it does feel like he went in with his eyes wide open and uh um just put together something that beautiful that he found there um so highly recommend all that breathes next up uh i re <laughs> even though it's a brand new movie here i, uh, I re-watched uh marie kreutzer's corsage because i love it so much um i think i love it even loved it even more the 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 second time through uh, vicky creeps is amazing the movie is very uh funny but also a portrait of depression a weird comparison that came to mind actually when I was watching it this time is of all things Bojack Horseman and I probably was thinking about Bojack Horseman because I often am because I think it's a great show um but in the sense of this being a look at someone who has who has who's very severely depressed but also has the money and status to do whatever they want and wallow in whatever way they want and they can be it can be funny but they can also be cruel 
Um, obviously, the movie's not quite as absurd as Bojack Horseman, but it's not not absurd at the same time. So, um, absolutely beautiful movie. Um, glad I watched it again. Uh, movie I watched for the first time, uh, Michael Greenwich's My Policeman, which I, I don't know. I, I feel like it got um, kind of... Uh, um, I don't know if it was just the pile-on of anti-Harry Styles stuff that came in the wake of the Don't Worry Darling fiasco, um, but I, I feel like this movie got largely dismissed, um, and it's not I'm not here to tell you that it's like a secret hidden gem, but it's not at all a bad movie. Um, um, Harry Styles plays a policeman um, who... Uh, strikes up a romance i guess with emma corin of the crown um but he's really carrying on a closeted uh, uh um surreptitious sexual relationship and romantic relationship with uh like a museum docent or something uh played by david dawson who's great by the way um and uh but it's it's emma corin is really kind of the lead character and it's a very sort of tragic romance type movie in many ways and multiple multiple types of the most multiple romances in this movie are tragic uh in which emma corin um plays someone who is very much in love with her husband but has spent her life more or less knowing that he's married to her as a sort of front, even though, and he has a lot of affection for her, but it's not what she wants. Meanwhile, the policeman and the docent, um, also have a tragic romance because of, uh, the laws at the time it takes place in like is it early 60s um uh i think it's late 50s um probably into early 60s um yeah there are lots of reasons they have to stay closeted um legally and and everything else so uh i think the movie is definitely better than its reputation harry styles is definitely better i haven't seen don't worry darling but he's definitely better than people are uh making him out to be a lot of that is the chemistry between him and uh david dawson i i i really believe these two um uh are into each other uh all right next up uh the first of two Lena Dunham movies that we talk on in this episode, the better of the two, uh, Catherine called Birdie. Um, I've even, I haven't read the novel. I will admit that until this movie was announced, I didn't, um, know about the novel, but, uh, uh, I found the movie, the Bella Ramsey is the, the actress who, who, who plays Birdie. It takes place in the middle ages and, and she's a, um, uh, a, a young woman or I mean a girl but in the eyes of her 
father, played by Andrew Scott, uh, a young woman, woman enough to be married off, uh, to hopefully to someone rich to save the family's fortunes. Um, but she's, you know, I don't sure how she, I'm sure it says in the movie how she's supposed to be, but 13 or 14, she, you know, gets her first period during the movie. Um, so probably being younger, I don't know, I feel like maybe back then, did people age differently or maybe not? Um, maybe it was the opposite because people didn't live as long. <sighs> I'm off on a tangent. Um, but, uh. Uh, the movie is uh, has a lot of intentional sort of anachronisms. It, it um, including like the music is all it's all ninety songs, but it's modern day. It's one artist I can't remember her name doing a bunch of ninety songs like Mazzy Star and stuff like that. Um, and so it it has this kind of uh, this modern cadence and lexicon to it, but not in an overly arch or annoying way it feels appropriate to the age group it feels like uh it really feels like you're in this young girl's head and is making you realize or or think about the fact that um despite her circumstances which are uh scary being married off but also like she's a woman of privilege she's comes from a, a, a family of i guess they're like landed gentry i don't know i'm not, I'm not sure how all of that works um well i guess he's a lord yeah 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 so she's nobility anyway this is not important um but it is it is important because there's like the the privilege so it's it's weird weirdly a companion like a different type of take on um what Sophia Coppola's Marie Antoinette is 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 exploring the like uh distance of wealth and aristocracy but also the humanity of a uh young woman or a girl who is um being whose whose life is being dictated for her um so I mentioned Bella Ramsey and Andrew Scott. Also, Billy Piper uh, plays her mother. Um, Joe Alwyn plays her uncle. Um, Sophie Oconito plays a, a nearby noble. Uh, Paul Kay, as he often seems to have to do, plays a uh, boorish piece of shit. Um, David Bradley plays an old codger like he always does. It's just got a, a great cast. It's very funny. Um you know it's a reminder that like leaned on him is funny um i, I don't know that i would go so called to call her a, go so far as to call her a comedian but uh humor has been a part comedy has been a part of her work as long as uh she's been making work and uh uh captain Calberti is is very funny um uh all right next up is Park Chan Wook's decision to leave, um, and uh, yeah, I, I I loved this in a way that is um, almost that I almost take for granted. Maybe with someone like Park Chan Wook, like I kind of he's one of those filmmakers that I go into one of his movies feeling pretty confident that I'm going to 
have a good time and i do although you know good time is a relative term the movie is uh very sad um but also with some dark comedy uh, you know there's some upsetting stuff in it it's very sad but uh yeah it's it's also uh, funny um it's about a detective who is investigating a woman whose husband died in an accident perhaps maybe she's a suspect um he doesn't think she's a suspect or maybe he likes her and is uh um convincing himself that she didn't do it well you have to see the movie for yourself uh to to find out but um the loneliness and sadness of and, and longing of the um main main character especially uh Hedrian played by park hey ill um is uh is very uh touching in and moving um but also park chan wook's uh his the the precision of his filmmaking and the the beauty of his frames and his editing um he does feel like it's interesting i think to acknowledge how our values as cinema lovers seem to be changing. You know, I was having this conversation with my wife, getting far afield here, that's what we do on this podcast. I was having this conversation with my wife about that we live in a world where a, a legacy Top Gun sequel gets nominated for Best Picture. But I don't have a problem with it because Top Gun Maverick is great and also great movies like that you know, like great big budget studio action movies used to be more common and less remarkable and so part of why something like top gun is so beloved is because that kind of filmmaking has become more rare and in its place has become has has been this sort of uh very franchise minded very cg aided sort of uh uh amorphous type of filmmaking that 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 doesn't feel you know everything's green screened and pre-vised and fixed in post and all of this stuff and and everything seems so fake and weightless and empty now that's something like top gun that feels like a real goddamn movie uh feels like a revelation so to come back to park chan wook it's interesting to see and part of this is just that he's been around for so long but you know 15 years ago park chan wook was seen as like being a on the cutting edge you know something like old boy was like for you know adventurous uh uh film lovers at least here in america uh only and now decision to leave without that much having actually changed about his filmmaking style decision to leave feels like such a work such a classical work of filmmaking it feels like it's rooted in 
a time when it wasn't just making films wasn't just about I feel like such an old man, but this has really happened where, you know, the things that, you know, you're appealing to a smaller base and a more rabid base. So everything has the sort of like, or, or a lot of things have to have the sort of like, uh, uh, franchise fandom type, type recognizability. And that is more important. Those moments, those like, you know, cheering in the theater or gifable type moments, are more important and filmmakers as talented at actually just construction, just presentation construction of a movie are less thick on the ground in terms of mainstream entertainment. In addition to leave, obviously there's a barrier less so than there used to be, but in America there's a barrier um, that subtitles represent, unfortunately. But, uh, the guy who made the vengeance trilogy made something that feels like the most old Hollywood piece of classical, beautiful mainstream grown up cinema. Um, anyway, I, I, I hate to only be talking about a movie that I love as much as decision to leave in terms of what it is not, you know? Um, and I, I've done that a lot with top gun Maverick as well. Um, I should also just be focused on what decision to leave is, which is just an absolutely gorgeous story of, of longing, um, and, uh, risk and, and, and sacrifice. Uh, all right. Next up is, Oh my gosh. Uh, the rare movie, the very rare movie that gets, hella hyped up and then actually ends up being as good if not better and i would say probably better than um the hype made it seem i finally after months uh caught up with zach Krager's barbarian and uh i'm, I'm sure every, anyone listening to this has probably already seen it and is like yeah welcome welcome to the party pal pal but um it rocks uh barbarian is uh, so cool and um, uh, so inventive and creepy uh, in the way both in its content being you know having actual surprises um, but also creepy in its in its presentation there's a lot of just really uh, just scare inducing but like not like jump scare not that there aren't jump scares i'm not that pro i don't have that much of a problem with jump scares but um there's also those like dread inducing type of uh drawn out shots um and uses of framing and shadow um that are all uh really really great it's also uh tyler and i have talked about this before um Zach Krager comes from the world of comedy. He's a, a sketch comedy guy, um, and much, you know, much like Jordan Peele. And it's interesting to see, um, how comedic instinct instincts translate to horror instincts. Cause the bar barbarian's also very funny at, at times. Um, but, uh, uh, Zach Krager also knows, he knows how to get a reaction, a genuine reaction out of, an audience uh and he uses it 
for both laughs and scares. I also want to point out how, because um, there was also another movie earlier in 2022 called House of Darkness, um, and Justin Long was in that too. And it's very interesting to see that Justin Long, who was like once the cute but awkward boy next door, you know, the nice kid. Um, and he still has that, but there's two horror movies in the same year in which he gets cast as someone who's a misogynist, like piece of shit. And I do, uh, wonder if the, 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 the things we've learned over the past five, six years, or, you know, the thing by we, I mean, you know, men, <laughs> women already knew this, but, uh, the things that have become more public over the past five, six years about what kind of men are, 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 are doing the, doing the worst, uh, things and, and, uh, being the worst, um, that it's not the obvious, you know, brutish bad guy, like the nice guy can also be, uh, uh, a piece of shit and maybe is more likely to, um, because of whatever he feels he's owed or however he feels he's been wronged by being the nice guy. Um, not that barbarian, like, or house of darkness, not that either movie, like, um, lays into that too thickly. Um, they, they don't have to because they cast Justin Long (laughs) and a lot can be said, uh, for the power of casting. So yeah, that's uh, Barbarian. Um, then I watched, I guess this is also a horror movie. Um, I mean, not that it's very scary, but that's probably where it would be classified in the blockbuster. Uh, Peter Strickland's Flux Gourmet, um, which is another one of his uh, oddly like alternate present science fiction type of not not even science fiction isn't like the word but just like speculative alternate reality uh fiction um uh, it takes place in a world in which um and now i've already forgotten what they call them um culinary performance artists or they have a name uh for them but um, there are there's an entire genre of performance art slash music that is has to do with mixing food with the performance and the sounds of preparing food with the music. Um, and uh, the this movie takes place of one such band um, has uh, been given granted a residency at um sort of a retreat slash performance space uh where they get to do nothing but work on music and go walks go through walks uh but the main character in the movie um is the videographer who works for the retreat um and It's it's uh, hard hard to explain. Obviously, I mean, I, I just did a lot of explaining. It's hard to explain even beyond that what the the conflicts are. Gwendolyn Christie plays the woman who runs the retreat, who um, butts heads with the sort of front woman of the 
band um, played by uh, Strickland regular Fatma Muhammad. Um, uh, other people, uh, Asa Butterfield is in, in the band. Um, is the other, the other big name. But uh, <clears throat> there are a lot of tensions among the band, among Gwendolyn Christie and, and the band, among the videographer. Um, there's also a um, physician uh, played. He's, he's really great. Uh, Richard Bremer is the actor and he's, um, he's fantastic. Uh, and um, yeah, it's the, the, the movie is very tense obviously it's very weird and sometimes very gross with all the food and i don't know if you're grossed out by like people doing things with food other than just like cooking and eating it which i sometimes am um there's a lot of the movie that's gross but it's also really transfixing and beautiful and sometimes violent and bloody um and uh yeah it's only the second strickland film that i've seen i need to go back and see uh, was a barbarian sound studio was the first one but um there's another one i missed but i saw in fabric um oh the duke of burgundy is a big one that i really want to see um but i liked in fabric i would say i really like flux gourmet i think it's um my favorite of the two of his films that i've seen so far uh all right, then I went to Sundance. Let me skip ahead a little bit to just my last couple movies. So I saw a documentary. Um, this was uh, aired on PBS as part of Independent Lens, I think. Um, and it's it's on the PBS app. I'm not sure if you have to be, like me, a um, monthly donor um, to... To, to see it or or if it's available to everyone on the PBS app but the movie is called uh, I didn't see you there it's a documentary directed by um, a guy named Reed Davenport who lives in Oakland and um, um, uh, he, he lives in Oakland and he um, I don't know if he has cerebral palsy or something. He uses a wheelchair and um, has um, a very uh, distinct and somewhat difficult way of speaking, and and he moves uh, involuntarily, and he's making a documentary just carrying a camera around through his daily life, but also it's while the circus is in town in Oakland, so he keeps coming back to the history of freak shows in the circus as a way of so between that between that his point of view on the legacy of freak shows and seeing because he's never that's a big thing he's never his face like you see a little bit like maybe his arms here or there you see his feet at one point but he's generally not on camera but his voice is there the entire time um, he is sometimes difficult to understand. There aren't subtitles and I think that's intentional. Um, but, um, uh, so between him and talking about freak shows and 
him shooting from his point of view from a moving you know he has a motorized uh wheelchair um it the the task of a personal documentary like the, the documentary like this of getting the audience to see things the way the filmmaker does uh this has got to be one of the strongest examples of that i've ever seen i i found it incredibly um moving and eye-opening and almost reality altering in in the way that um it got me inside this guy's experience not that outsider thing of like you know look at this poor guy it's not making you sympathize with him it's just making you see the way he does and and, and maybe even maybe even a little bit feel the way he does um one thing that really stood out to me you know as he's a he's a filmmaker i'm sure you know he probably shot a lot of footage the movie's only like 80 minutes long or so so it's you know whatever he decided to put in it he clearly put in it for a reason and it's interesting how rarely if ever we see people being cruel to uh this 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 man instead what he really focuses on is the people being going out of their way to be polite going out of the way to be helpful or assuming he needs help and there's a certain like there's a humanity to him understanding i think that you know these people aren't being jerks but there's also a patronizing aspect that that becomes clear pretty quickly um in the way that we i was gonna say see but the way we experience him being uh treated um it's really a truly powerful and singular film i didn't see you there I, i would definitely recommend if you have a way to see it i would definitely recommend seeing it uh and then we're gonna end on kind of a down note for me, um, the other Lena Dunham movie from 2022, Sharp Stick, um, is about a uh, woman in her 20s who um, works as a sort of, um, I don't know, nanny slash governess, I guess, to um, disabled uh, children. And she's in the house of uh, this one couple played by Lena Dunham and John Bernthal. And then she starts to have an affair. She's a virgin. She's in her mid-20s. And she starts. She has an affair with John Bernthal. And it kind of opens her world up uh, to, to sex. Um, and again, there's a lot of funny in it. It also has... I mentioned Lena Dunham and John Bernthal. It also has uh, Taylor Page and the great Jennifer Jason Leigh. Um, Scott Speedman has a small role. Even Moss Backrack has a, a a small role. Um, there's a lot that's good about it. I do think Lena Dunn was a good filmmaker. Um, but the main character, um, she's played by Kristen Froseth, and I don't really want, but I don't really want to sound like I'm blaming her. I think it's more the main character as written. I just kind of found her annoying, um, and because she her naivete like borders on uh i don't know if it's a pathology or 
if she's sick I, I don't know it's um it's upsettingly she's upsettingly childlike and annoying and i found it unrealistic <laughs>